0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 47 of The Snyder Cut. I am your sleep deprived host. Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider.com. And once again, facing another hard out on this podcast, which means I have no time for introductions. Let's just dive right in with a big ol' da-da-da! Da-da-da! I saw it. I saw Tenet yesterday, guys. If you follow me on Instagram at, at The Snyder, you know the precautions that I took. This was a press screening in Boston at the AMC Boston Commons Theater. Uh, they said jeff you know you're you're invited to come and i was like before i even said yes i was like i gotta know what i'm walking into so how many people are going to be there are masks required you know what's the deal and they were like yep six people max you know because it's it's not like it's la or new york where the press screenings are just like full of you know every blogger on the planet uh you know you, you invite the globe and maybe a couple of other people who have come back to boston uh, to wait this pandemic out but you know, it's, it's not a, uh, a a gigantic market, critic-wise. So there were only six of us. I I made sure to clear it with my dad, because I'm living with dad. And I cleared it with my brothers, because I had dinner plans with my brothers last night. Um, and I told them, like, listen, I'm going to be wearing gloves. I wore two masks. I wore glasses. I don't wear glasses. I wore them just as protective I, wore, I wear. And I wore a poncho. And it's not because it was... Uh, raining inside the theater or anything like that i just you know one one more layer of protection who cares um and yeah all in all besides the 36 dollar parking bill warner brothers jeez besides that it was a good experience i felt safe do i you know am i gonna be rushing out to see the new mutants um with like the public tonight no uh, I'm probably going to steer clear of that, and I imagine New Mutants will be available on VOD or, or Disney Plus within the next three months, maybe. Maybe it's less than that. Maybe it's just three weeks. Um, but it just doesn't seem necessary to run to a theater for that and, and, and to take those risks. So I'm not you know, encouraging people to do it. Uh, I also don't want to you know, come off as a hypocrite. I mean, this was a controlled environment. Um, you weren't going to get some asshole who, who refer, uh, refused to wear a mask or something like that. So again, just keep in mind. As for the movie, the movie was okay. I'd give Nolan an A for effort and for ambition. But overall, like most of the reviews that you've read this week, I found it pretty disappointing. Mainly- because I have a good grip of his of like his story this time around um you know people have said for years like you know Christopher Nolan is, is a cold filmmaker uh he's like a, a bit he's just like a, a technician he's a little bit mechanical I don't know that that's entirely true I, I think and I'm sure I've, I've made something along the lines of that criticism in the past but you know there is heart to Interstellar, there is heart to Dunkirk uh, and to Inception, and I really felt that there just wasn't that heart for this movie. And you know the the only place that there could be heart really is it's all about you know Elizabeth Debicki and her and her kid because you know she's married to to Kenneth Branagh who you know playing a Russian arms dealer. Or I don't know if they're married or dating or whatever the fuck, but um, you know he he is keeping her son from her. He's sort of holding holding the boy hostage. He, he's like ho- holding him over her at least. Uh, and so you just you didn't really feel like their their separation. You didn't feel her. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to like. Talk about it without spoiling anything, you know? I, I just, maybe I needed more setup there with, with Elizabeth Debicki and her, and her kid uh, t- to make me emotionally invested in the story. As it stands, you know, no one has this habit of, like, thrusting you into the movie with this big set piece. He, he did it with, you know, the, the, dark, uh, the Batman sequel, essentially, The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. You had, you know, the big uh, bank heist, which I, I watched The Dark Knight with Dad uh, this week. He'd never seen it before. Great, just just a great movie, a great s- sequence. Um, then you have the the Bane airplane sequence. So this, it's it's you know the attack on the on the Kiev Opera House. That's how the movie opens. We've seen that you know stuff in in the trailer, um, and it's it's a cool sequence. In fact, all the action scenes are are pretty cool. Um, you know the big highway chase. Uh, you know when he's crashing the the seven forty seven. I liked all that stuff the problem for me was the third act. The third act I thought was bad. Um, Mainly because, so I'm not going to attempt to explain time inversion. In fact, in the movie, they say, don't even attempt, don't even try to understand it. Uh, And there were a lot of things like that where they're just like, you know what, don't even, don't even worry about this. And they they tell you um, by means of telling another character. Uh, So just like, imagine, you know, you have some characters going this way in time and then you have others going this way in time. And, you know, eventually they meet and, and do this, right? But the first few times it's really cool and I'd never seen anything like it. But by the time you get to that third act, two and a half hours into the movie, you've now seen Inversion. And so it it, it, it lessens the impact of that third act. And it was just it was super busy, and the story became become super convoluted and it just it just didn't didn't quite work for me um what did i like what you know, what didn't I like all that stuff? I thought John David Washington was okay as the protagonist I don't think he was great I mean you have to look at like Nolan has worked with Oscar winners Al Pacino, right? Uh, Christian Bale, Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matthew McConaughey, and John David Washington, as promising as as his career may be, I I don't think he's ever going to win an Oscar. I don't think there's something, and and Jeff Wells would talk about this, and and I don't, um, I don't know if i agreed at least with regards to like you know black clansmen or whatever but he's he kind of does have dead eyes it's kind of true crow crow is probably watching this freaking out because he was like absolutely not uh that's bullshit i mean i feel like there were times in this movie where john david washington is like You know, there's so much. It's a wordy script. Like, there's a ton of dialogue. I can't even imagine how long the script was. It could have been a proper 150, 200 pages. Uh, John David Washington, I don't feel like he's an active listener on screen. I feel like he's just standing there watching and waiting for someone to deliver their line. And, And I just, you don't, like, this is a life and death stakes. You never see, like, those eyes, like, go wide. Or, like, he's just playing it a little too cool. I'll, and maybe that's, maybe that's part of the story, you know, because it deals with the past and the future and all this stuff. And, and you know, maybe if you were, if you, if you had experience in the future, is the past as scary to you since you know what's going to happen? I, I just, I, I couldn't really, between him and Pattinson, they're just like both so too cool for school. You know, there's no fear. You don't feel that like worry. Debicki was fine. Uh, the one who I liked the best was Kenneth Brown, And that's just because Kenneth Brown, you know, he's screaming and like, I, I felt emotion and anger and passion. Um, and, and so that, you know, and obviously Kenneth Brown is fucking Kenneth Brown. You know, he's a Shakespearean, he's trained in Shakespeare. Like this guy's, a, he's been a great actor since the 90s. Uh, he'd make a great villain in Mission Impossible. I'll tell you that. I would love to see Kenneth Brown on a Mission Impossible movie. Um, This just, uh, it was just missing something. I love the score from from, uh, Ludwig Goranson who did uh, Black Panther. And again, it's like, no one puts so much pressure on himself to reinvent the wheel. And and the wheel gets reinvented here to an extent. But you need the story to back up what you're, you know, uh, the, the, the visual innovations. And in this case, it just never pulled me in, you know, like, so I can see, I, I understand why the reviews were were largely disappointing. Uh, and, and I think that you're going to see more of that when American critics uh, do weigh in more, um, you know, obviously they couldn't send out links to this. So it's like, I, and I'm pretty sure that there was a in L.A. I think I saw Dorian and, and RB3 there. I imagine that they're in L.A. Um, so, yeah. I would just, you know, it, it wasn't a complete bust. But do I think this is the worst movie Nolan has made? Which is probably, you know, still better than most movies. It feels like it. Again, it's just because the story is so convoluted and it's just hard to follow. And if you think like a 12-year-old, if Chris Nolan is sitting there thinking that a 12-year-old boy is going to follow what the hell is going on here, I don't think that's going to happen. Like, I think he's crazy if he thinks that. Um, I mean, people in the movie don't even know what the hell they watch. The other big issue with this, and, and maybe this is deliberate because you know it's about so much mumbo-jumbo, but Chris Nolan has a problem, whether it's with his hearing. What, I don't know what is going on. The mix on this movie was fucked. It was fucked. I mean, it's been like this for every movie he's done since The Dark Knight, I feel like. I, I don't know what's going on. Characters are either, they're either mumbling or they're talking through the masks, and, and and you're you know he's not amping up that that voice. Or they have, and I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to come off xenophobic. They have thick accents, and he can't understand what the hell they're saying. And and that's one thing. Like if you can show me their lips moving, some of these things, you know, there's these huge exposition dumps, and and they're done almost like in voiceover and I couldn't even fucking understand what the hell anybody's saying. It, it blows my mind that I'm watching a movie that's, that someone spent $200 million on and all it has the most talented people in Hollywood. And I don't know what the fuck anybody's saying. Like What? So yeah, uh, I Warner Brothers, thank you for, for, for having me. I'm really glad I got a chance to see it in a theater. It felt great to be back at the movies. And again, with the action sequences, there's definitely some impressive stuff. Uh, and, and listen, I, I like some of the twists and turns that this story took. But by the time that you get two hours into this movie and there's another half hour to go, I've seen the inversion trick. I've seen, it's really just pressing the rewind button, and, and people moving in reverse. And as cool as that is, to layer that on top of, you know, people moving through time uh, normally this way. Who's to say what's normal in this world? But it's just, I felt like I'd, I'd seen the trick for the last two hours. So the last act just had no real impact. And I don't even know what the hell was going on. Like, yeah, just, anyways. See tenant definitely. Uh, but be safe about it. You know, don't go to the 7.38 o'clock show. That's probably going to be the packed one. Go late at night. Go early in the morning. Go, you know, oftentimes sit in the back of the theater so there aren't people breathing on you. Uh, Forget concessions. I mean, I, I can't believe movie theaters... I know that they have to sell concessions to survive, but, like, if you're taking off the water bottle or shoving Skittles or popcorn into your mouth, that defeats the purpose of wearing a mask. So, to me... I, I, these theaters should not even be allowed to sell concessions. It's crazy, uh, but again, this is America. It's a free country to reach their own. I'm not going to see New Mutants. I'm not going to see a movie in in, in the, with the public. Uh, I felt very privileged to see this with with critics. Um, yeah. It, 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 if you thought it was great, I promise you, it's not. All right, let's move on. DC Fandom was this weekend. I was working late on a Saturday night. Uh, Let's talk about the Batman trailer. That was the big one, and wow. I think it looks great. I think it looks super cool. Uh, I I mean, so there's a lot to unpack in this trailer. So you've got the Riddler, right? That's who we all felt, uh, you know, was that, that first character that you see with the duct tape and the goggles. Then uh, you're introduced to, you know, we we met Lieutenant Gordon, because he's not the commissioner in this movie. We met Pattinson's Batman, who looks good, although a little gothy. He looked like he was kind of playing the crow in, in, you know, the big photo that was making the rounds. Um, And then we met Colin Farrell's Penguin, and I had no fucking idea. Like, when I saw that guy, I was like, is that – one of Falcone's goons like he looks like he could be kind of like a, a thick like track suit wearing italian guy like i don't i don't know if it was richard kind but there was so much time spent on that guy in the trailer i was like well it's got to be like who who would this guy be we would know like casting wise like who is this actor with this clearly significant role And it turned out to be Colin Farrell. The prosthetic job on this is incredible. I mean, this guy is unrecognizable. Maybe you could tell with the eyes, but not even like the eyes. I mean, shrink it even down more. The eyes. Because his eyebrows, Colin Farrell obviously has, you know, some of the the bushiest eyebrows in the business. He looks totally different. He looks like Richard Kind. And it's like, well, if you're (laughs) – you're gonna, you know, make him look like that. Why not just hire a guy who looks like Richard Kind? Um, but uh, yeah, even like the accent, like that Irish brogue, wasn't there. Um, I am. I'm almost looking forward to to seeing the Penguin in action more than the Riddler. Uh, you know, Cat Catwoman looked cool. I just, I love the aesthetic of it, and I loved how it was set to Nirvana's "Something in the Way" or uh, yeah, "Something in the Way." Um. A little, a little trivia about that, I didn't include this in the article, but if you actually look up the history of Something in the Way in movies, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, that, movie belongs to, uh, that song belongs to Jarhead, the Sam Mendes, Jake Gyllenhaal movie. It turns out they wanted to use Something in the Way in Jarhead, and so they asked Courtney Love for permission, and Courtney Love said, only because I love Peter Sarsgaard will I give you permission to use it. And Peter Sarsgaard is also in the Batman. I wonder if they went back here and were like, hey, can we use this? We've got Peter. And she's like, well, if you've got Peter, you've got the song. Like, that's kind of amazing. Um, I, I always loved that Nirvana song shit. I, I grew up with them. And it was a big week for, uh, for, for Courtney Love songs and trailers, as, as we'll talk about later. But uh, the Batman, two huge thumbs up. Um, and I was reading more. So, so somebody already decoded the, the Riddler's riddle uh, from the greeting card, that blew my mind like that people are I love the people like who go through it frame by frame by frame. Um, then there was the conversation about is is the guy with the part in the middle of his hair is that a part or is that a mask that he was wearing indicating potential court of owls thing now i didn 't know what the hell the court of owls was, but I went down the rabbit hole last night and it was pretty interesting and, and you know when you look at the greeting card with an owl on the front, it is kind of a compelling theory. Um, like maybe maybe it's not even. I mean, it has to be the Riddler, right? Is the Riddler leading the Court of Owls? I don't know who who is their leader or where they come from or what their deal is, but uh, I don't know. It's t- it's tough to ignore, tough to ignore. Um, and I love Batman throwing that war boy looking kid uh, just an absolutely brutal beating. You know, even when the guy's down on the ground, he, he gets in two more punches. So. I just I love what Matt Reeves is doing here, and I can't wait to see more. Keep in mind, they've only, ca- uh, they've only shot 25% of this movie. That's why I was like, is that the Penguin or not? Because maybe Colin Farrell hasn't even shot his scenes yet. But clearly, that was wrong. Um, we saw footage from the Suicide Squad. Remember, uh, my brothers reminded me that, of this when I showed them uh, this, this footage. They were like, you know, when the last Suicide Squad came out, you said it was going to be the greatest movie ever. And I did say that I thought that trailer was the best trailer that came out that year for the for Suicide Squad, and it was maybe the worst movie I, I'd, I'd seen that year. It was so bad. It, w- it probably wasn't the worst movie I saw that year, but it was pretty close. Um, this looks totally different. It looks like a lot more fun, although still gritty and and dark. It just, it, it, I mean, I know that you know King Sharks and there, but it didn't. It it doesn't seem to have like the the supernatural bullshit that David Ayer's movie had at the end of it. I don't know what, you know, Enchantress was a lousy villain. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm psyched. I'm psyched to see guys like Pete Davidson and Flula Borg. And, and it's just like this entire huge cast of clearly expendable characters. Like, I knew you know, they're going to kill Margot Robbie or, or Will Smith or whatever. But, you know, but in this movie, I feel like they're all fair game. Um, probably not uh, Harley Quinn. But, um yeah, just a whole bunch of people that you can kill in a whole bunch of creative different ways. I love Michael Rooker with the long blonde hair. It just like James, that that piece and James Gunn and everybody like they got me excited for that. I am stoked. Uh, there was a new Wonder Woman eighty four trailer. You know that that looks cool. I, I am looking to look for like a more clear shot of Cheetah because it looked a little corny from what I saw. It looks almost like Character from cats leaping around the screen. And I still think Chris and Wig still don't know about that casting. I, I just find it really hard to take her seriously in anything. She's just Listen, there's some actors you, you can you can do that with and some actors you can't. So we'll see. Um and then we got a Snyder Cut trailer, which was super grim and dour. And that's why I liked it. I mean, it wasn't like this goofy, we, you know, Avengers wannabe. uh, I don't even know if there was any dialogue in it. It was just seemed like it was all, you know, set to hallelujah. But I, I do think that Snyder sees these characters and cares about them in a way that Joss Whedon didn't and never could. Um, yeah, you know, like well, I guess I'll check out the Snyder Cut. Four, I mean, the fact that it's four fucking hours long, man, that that's a lot of movie or a lot of t- TV show. In this case, I don't even know what the hell you call it. Uh, since I think i do not I don't, I don't think you can. Is it something that's four hours really a movie? I don't know about that. I think once you hit that three and a half hour point, it's like this is a fucking TV show. <sighs> Whatever. um you know this the Snyder cut fanboys won and if it means that we get a better movie out of it then it'll have been for the the right reasons i guess it'll have been for a good cause uh yeah i i don't think it's again i don't agree with the precedent i but uh i won't lie that that trailer intrigued me that's all that matters at the end of the day Shit, we are just burning through fucking time on this podcast. Uh, wow. Okay, The Boys, season two. Might as well review that now. That starts next week. I finished the last episode last night. Embargo has already lifted. What did I think? I, so I watched it all with my brother. Um, I liked it. I don't know if I liked it as much as the first season. It took a while to get going, I thought. Um... I feel like halfway my brother and I were both a little disappointed uh, with the season on the whole and it seemed, but it it got, it definitely got better, uh, you know, in, in the later episodes. Um, what can I say? I Aya Cash plays Stormfront and I'm on the record as not a big Ia Cash fan. I think that she may be the most annoying actress in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> And I have a very, you know, very limited sample of her work. I just, I couldn't stand You're the Worst. And I hated the, the Sundance movie that she was in, Scare Me. Uh, and and she comes off pretty annoying in this as well. But that may have been the point. I think that the whole point is for you not to like Stormfront. And for you to root against her. And in that, you know, looking at it that way, her it worked. Her Her performance definitely worked. Uh, I still love homelander on the show anthony starr i think he 's he like he could be a huge star um when all this is said and done maybe i mean he 's like i said he 's a little bit bolder than you 'd think that he is but uh i don 't know there 's something he 's got something um I mean, yeah, you know, it's gruesome. It's definitely not as like uh, misogynistic, maybe, as last season. There's there's a lot less rape. In, like, you know, there's a big attempt at redemption for the for the deeps. So that you don't see him as as this kind of monster. I'll tell you who I really liked was actually A Train. I really liked A Train this season. Uh, you know, Huey and, and Starlight and, and all that. It's it's okay. I I, I like uh, I like both of them. Um, but the heart, you know, the beating heart of the show is obviously Billy Butcher. And so he's not in that that first episode and uh and you feel his absence. You're like just fucking put Butcher back on the screen like So um you know, it's it's solid. It's it's a good show. Like I'm I'm excited for for uh, for season 3, but did it match the highs of that first season? Probably not. Only because it was new to me. I didn't know what The Boys really was. I didn't know how intense and crazy and R-rated it was! So it caught me by surprise. This time it doesn't have that element of surprise, and I think it suffers just a little bit for it. Um, but all in all, a solid season of television for Amazon. It's nice to like they've been very quiet all summer. Amazon, I think that they are gearing up for a huge September between that show and Utopia. The next review is not a good one. I'm thinking of ending watching this movie I cannot believe some of the reviews I've read this morning now that the embargo has lifted it is insane the people who will cross themselves into pretzels will just twist themselves up to say a nice word about Charlie Kaufman to prove to you the reader that they get it let me tell you there's nothing to get in this movie it was fucking horrible 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 that was what I texted my friends the second that I that I uh watched it. And I love Jessie Buckley. She's amazing. Um Jessie Plemons is solid. Like every this cast is so, so good. This I, I I don't even like this is a not a big fat nothing burger of a movie. This is just like she dies tomorrow. It's this existential dread and this abstract What the fuck? Honestly, it was worse than Synecdoche, New York, and I hated Synecdoche, New York. Jesse Plemons, like... How many reviews can compare him to to Philip Seymour Hoffman? Like, I really like Jesse Plemons. I think he's a solid actor. Is he Philip Seymour Hoffman? No, he is not. Charlie Kaufman seems just more and more interested in, like, pleasing only. only himself and not the audience at all. Like this fucking movie was excruciating. I think that's what Matt, our, our critic Matt Goldberg, called it. It was it was torture. It was sheer torture. Um, I don't think most people are gonna get tw- past twenty minutes of this thing. Okay, and it's so long. The setup is so long. It takes forever to get to the family's house. And then, you know, you get to the house. One, one minute, you know, his parents are in their 50s or 60s. And the next minute, they're in their 80s or 90s. The next minute, they're in their... It's just like, what is happening? And if you haven't seen the musical Oklahoma, forget it. There's no point even watching the movie. Half the movie is just like fucking Oklahoma references. Like, no. No, I put, I'm putting my foot down. This movie sucked. And if it gets any award consideration from critics who are bending over backwards to prove that they get it, like fucking shoot. This was miserable, a miserable viewing experience. Good luck to anyone who dares watch this thing on Netflix. And as soon as I watched it, I'll do respect to Jesse Buckley. Love her. Uh, there, it was crystal clear why Brie Larson dropped out of this movie. I can totally see how she's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, totally want, you know, this book was really good. I want to work with Charlie Kaufman. I'm sure she she saw that script or whatever he had in mind for it. Because I don't know, like, what the scheduling issue necessarily was. But maybe there was one. Well, maybe there wasn't. Maybe she was just like, wow, this movie's going to be batshit, indecipherable, bonkers, I'm out. She dodged a fucking huge bullet with this one. And I'm just sad that Jesse Buckley had to be the one to catch it. Not that she's bad in this. You know, she's not. It, it's, it, this is on Charlie Kaufman. This is not on his cast. Charlie Kaufman, what the fuck? All right, let's talk about the news. We've got about 20, 25 minutes left in this show. Um, J.C. Chandor directing a Craven the Hunter movie. Really? J.C. Chandor, that's what you want to do? That's the point that your career's gotten to. You got to make fucking Sony Marvel movies. Like, come on, bro. I wanted, I want to say you're better than this, but I don't even know anymore. Like Charlie, I mean, uh, Chasey Chandor started off hot with Margin Call, right? Then he did that um, All Is Lost with with Redford, which was a hell of a performance from Redford, but I did not care for the movie. A most violent year is definitely the best thing J.C. Chandor has done. Triple Frontier was not very good. It was, it was a pretty big disappointment. So it's just like, how do you direct a movie like Triple Frontier where they give you this great cast and this Mark Bowles script and fucking Metallica on the soundtrack, and you just have like a you know, hundred million dollars at your disposal, and you turn in a lackluster effort like that, and then you get rewarded? With a Marvel movie like this is just—I hate to bring race into it—but it's another example of like, oh, fucking white guy failing upwards. Craven the hunter. I mean, I don't think that this isn't like our. Do I, did I put? Did I pick out a rumor of the week this week? I don't even know. I'm not even gonna say it because it's stupid, um, and I don't think it's gonna happen. <laughs> they, they did have an actor in mind for Craven. An actor that you've heard rumored for a bunch of superhero movies because he hasn't really done a superhero movie in 15 years. Um, and he's talked about playing an, a superhero movie lately. I just, I mean, Craven's not, not a super villain, right? Is he? Does he have superpowers? I don't even, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I'm not even going to say the fucking guy's name because I don't think it's going to happen uh Craven the Hunter getting his own movie that sounds interesting I'm, I'm down to see a Craven the Hunter movie uh J.C. Chandor though did, did, like, he just I don't see he seems like such a serious filmmaker now he wants to go make a fucking comic book movie not an odd choice I, I like the Olivia Wilde Spider-Woman choice a little bit more than this one uh Ryan Reynolds co-writing and starring in a netflix comedy upstate that reunites him with john august they worked together on the nines back in the day i think i reviewed that for ain't it cool in like 2007 um that movie wasn't good this movie we don't really know what it's about so tough tough to say um I like the idea of, of, Ryan Reynolds co-writing a movie. I feel like he's very involved in his scripts and has now begun, you know, getting that writing credit. Ryan Reynolds, like, can we talk about how busy this guy is? Like, has there any, has there been anyone with more announcements since the pandemic hit? He, you know, he got that time travel movie going with Skydance. They moved it away from Paramount, brought that to Netflix, signed on to a Quibi series uh, Fu the mucka He just has like 18 zillion irons in the fire. You will not be able to uh, escape Ryan Reynolds in the next few years. Here's what Ryan Reynolds needs to do. Ryan Reynolds, if you're listening, please, you need to go ahead and get a role that shows that you can actually act. Uh, And that role is either a role alongside Leo in killers of the flower moon. Or uh, a role alongside Christian Bale in David O. Russell's new movie. So if I were you, I would get on the phone with David O. Russell and Scorsese and see if you can talk your way, because you're so good at talking. See if you can talk your way into one of those movies, because I would love to see you actually like try and give a dramatic, like a supporting performance where the focus isn't just all on you. Um, that's just me. Let's talk about some of the scoops I broke this week. Uh, Pop Directing a uh, Wu-Tang move time in Shaolin. This is a story, I can't even tell you how I've been holding this. It feels like I've been holding it for close to a fucking year. I'm Brittany Runs America. I didn't have the guy's name in front of me. It's about like the guy who sort of brokered this deal uh, for Wu-Tang Clan's seventh studio album, Once Upon a Time, in Shaolin. They only made one copy of it. Like, back in 2014, they put it up for auction, and this fucking douchebag, maybe the worst person in the entire world, Martin Chakrelli, Pharma Bro, the most hated man in America, uh, he bought it for $2 million. Now, he owned this one copy of Wu-Tang Clan's uh, new album, and then he got like a busted on securities fraud. So the, I think the government has seized it. It's, you know, it was a valuable asset. So they seized it um, along with, I think, five or six million, uh, you know, other assets, uh, dollars, you know, in value at least. And um, so, I mean, it, it was kind of fascinating. Like, like I thought the story was super interesting. And I think that Netflix is probably the right home for it. Uh, they're still working out the details of the deal, but like Brad Pitt's company is producing this. Like, and so the way that this all went down was this project, which I've been holding for months and months and months, which everybody has been aware of an STX press release for that, the uh, Pete Davidson, O'Shea Jackson, junior story last week, American soul has the same writer, Ian Edelman who did how to make it in America. So it's released, which was a promise. And so at that point, the cat's out of the bag. Like, the, the toothpaste is out of the tube. Now, they didn't mention Paul, but they mentioned the project. And so I was just like, listen, guys. Some, like, someone had to approve that SDX press release. It was Ian Edelman's reps, right? Like, every, everybody's reps get to weigh in on something like that. Ian, like, obviously, Ian Edelman's reps – Gave STX all these credits and projects that he's working on, so like it's real. And once it hits deadline or it's in a, an official press release from another studio, like I can't really sit on it anymore. Whether whether it's you know a, an official Netflix project or not, or if they're still you know setting up the rights, because I don't think that the release actually mentioned Netflix. Um, but to me, the important thing was Paul, and Paul has been working on this for a while, a long time. I mean, he's done another draft of the script from Ian Edelman, so. Uh, couldn't couldn't hold it. I I don't think anybody was happy with me on that. But uh listen, that, them's the breaks. That's that's the news. Um and it was interesting for the a director of uh, "Britney Runs a Marathon to go do a movie like that. Can't imagine who would want to play Martin Shkreli. I mean, what a what a kind of juicy douchebag role. I'd love to see Yorma Tacone take it on. Yorma Tacone would make a uh, great Martin Shkreli. <laughs> um But yeah, that that project, I think it sounds kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, Urban Legend. They've been working on this reboot for a while. I I first reported on this podcast, even though Deadline uh, dropped an exclusive months later or weeks later about Colin Minahan directing this thing. um, It broke here. And so I decided to break the casting news as well. We've got Catherine McNamara. Who was on Arrow, and uh, she was just in something that I just saw. Fuck, wow, Totally unblinking. blinking. Um, I just saw her in something, though. And then Sydney Chandler, I haven't seen in anything. Nobody has really seen her in anything. She's brand new. She's Kyle Chandler's daughter. You've seen her on red carpets, you know, uh, at photos with dad and all that kind of stuff. So she's, she's a fresh face. Catherine Mac- McNamara is definitely a, uh, a rising young actress in this business. And, um, you know, are we, we going to get some of the names, like, you know, those level names that from, from the first Urban Legend where it had, you know, Jared Leto and uh, not that Rebecca Gayhart uh, was a huge name. or Joshua Jackson was a big name back then. Are, are we going to get any big stars like that? I don't know. Um, but I do think that you're going to see more diversity. They've got these two white girls now. And, you know, the, the rest of the cast think is going to be uh, full of, of some diverse young people. Um, what's interesting about this urban legend, though, is that it's basically revolves around like the, the urban legends of social media. And I have it on pretty good authority that deep fakes will be a big part of it. Um, now, Collider is obviously a brand that has, you know, uh, a lot of experience with, with deep fakes and it, they proved to be very popular. I mean, it is, you know, I, I can see the danger and why there are, you know, p- there's opposition to deep fakes. You can't even trust your own eyes. That seems like a real problem, but it also seems like fertile ground for a horror movie to explore. You know, if, if you're looking at videotape of, of Somebody killing someone or or whatever, and or, or somebody dying maybe, and, and it turns out it's not actually that person or it's somebody else or maybe the person didn't even exist in the first place. That sounds kind of interesting to me. So sign me up for uh, for a new fresh take on urban legend. Uh, and then the, the third scoop this week was Belushi. They that that uh, John Belushi movie back in the day it was going to be Emil Hirsch and Ellen Page. I want to say. It stalled out, uh, you know, in, in development for, for years. Last December, we ran a story about Alex Brightman, who is the star of Beetlejuice on Broadway, uh, signing on to play Belushi. Um, but clearly, they needed a star with some, a, a little bit of a bigger name. Um, you know, Alex Brightman just hadn't really done too much on the screen before. He's a stage actor. Um, so they went to Adam Pally. From Happy Endings, I mean, he's been in a bunch of, you know, big and small movies. He was just in Sonic the Hedgehog. It was a small part, but still. Uh, and I remember, you know, years ago, BuzzFeed actually ran, like, a poll or, or whatever it was. Like, you know, maybe just a list of who should play John Belushi. And Adam Pally was, like, number two on that list. Um, so, it's him. It's going to be Ike Barinholtz as Dan Aykroyd, who I can totally see. I I actually think that that could really work. And then Aubrey Plaza is poised to play Judy Belushi, uh, John's widow. That seems like a movie you you can get made. Adam Pally, Ike Barinholtz, Aubrey Plaza. That should be able to get you a few million dollars in financing where you can go and shoot this film uh, I do think that there's a whole generation of, of young people out there who don't really know John Belushi uh, or, or what he was all about. Um, and yeah, this is basically going to, you know, follow him at the, at the height of his fame. I'm sure it will, you know, in, in focus on his, his tragic, uh, but this is a decent little indie project that we could see, you know, at, at festivals a year or two from now, who knows. So check those out on Collider. I also ran an interview with our up-and-comer of the month, Bobby Soto, and uh, I like The Tax Collector. I, I, my brother, uh, saw it, I asked him at dinner about it. He said he liked it, too. It did not get great reviews from critics. I think it's around 18%, 20 25%, something like that on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but I feel like regardless of how I feel about The Tax Collector or Shia you know, appropriating Latin culture or – uh, David Ayer doing the same thing or making you know the the same kinds of movies. Uh, I think you have to be impressed with Bobby Soto. I don't know how you watch that movie and you're just like, oh, that guy sucked. Like, wasn't the greatest. Maybe you're like, oh, I wish you know Shia had been the lead or this project had uh, you know focused a little bit more on his character. But I think Bobby Soto, for a fucking guy who's never done this before, never been the lead in a movie. Like he acquitted himself pretty nicely. And I think he's got a a bright career ahead of him. Um, You know, unfortunately there just aren't that many uh, like leading Latino males. I mean, you know, a a project like that comes up, you're thinking whether it's Michael Pena or Gal Garcia, Bernal Diego Luna, like it's not, the list isn't much longer than that. I don't know that Bobby Soto is going to get on those kinds of lists, this quickly, but I think that he could go on to build a really solid career for himself. Uh, he, he just needs that, th- those opportunities. And I think that the tax collector will get him another one. So that is partially why I choose who I choose for up and comer. I don't want to choose someone who, who is like amazing, but they're not ne- like, it, it was just like, they're never going to work again. Like that's who he is now. And, and that's what he'll be remembered for. Like I want people who are going to go on to have a long career in this business um and uh so yeah next for next month i, I haven't chosen anybody yet i'm definitely looking at, at the cast of fargo i'm looking at uh, luca guadagnino's hbo series we are who we are i need to get some screeners for that so i i i love being blown away by a, a discovery um and getting in that corner early and, and being like hey man like i've been writing about you before you were cast as the big superhero and everybody cared about what you had to say like that is what is exciting for me. It, it's not so much the A-list interviews. Um, I also ran an interview this week, and it was a really good one. I was proud of this one for The Last Dance, the uh, Michael Jordan documentary, or excuse me, the Chicago Bulls documentary. It was on ESPN and had a, a really good second window on Netflix. A lot of people have been discovering it on the streaming service. Uh, yeah, Jason here. He, he directed it. He, he, I asked him some tough questions because, you know, I love the series. So that was great. It's definitely one of the best things I've seen all year. But at the same time, you know, I didn't feel like it was a piece of journalism because the NBA and Michael Jordan were producers on it. They had, you know, say. Whether they exercised that say or not is a different matter. Um, but you'll have to read the interview for, for, for those kinds of things. Like, I, I threw some some tricky questions at Jason and I really was impressed with his very thoughtful answers. So uh, I hope you will go and read that interview. I well, here, Here's a, uh, an interesting one. I'm not going to name the movie or the studio. But I woke up to an email today from a studio asking me to clear quotes uh, for marketing purposes. Except I hadn't seen the movie. I seen the trailer. It was for a trailer that I wrote up. And I was like, this looks let's just use the word. This wasn't the word in question, but let's say great. So I'm like, oh man, this movie looks great. Can't wait to see it. And they're like, well, can we clear the word great and and put that on the poster or something? And I'm like, so you want to tell people Collider says this movie's great. When really it's just a guy who thought the trailer looked great. Like how many studios are doing this? It's, totally dishonest and I guarantee you know you're talking to someone one of the few people I promise you one of the few people in this industry and this business who have a who has a real backbone I'd like to think that I have a, a backbone I think I, th- I think you know that I do um, and I can't like how many outlets out there for, just for that publicity that comes with having a quote on a poster or in a trailer, how many people would just say yes? How many people would be like, yeah, cleared for use. Go for it. Have fun. I couldn't in good conscience do it. I was like, listen, if you want to show me the movie, I would gladly check it out, and I will use that same word if it it fits. But you got to show me the movie. You can't be marketing shit based on marketing materials. Mind blower. Um, my pals over at Armory Films, Tim Zaharos and, and his partner, uh, they optioned this book this week, Unicorn with a K. And, you know, it's, it's pretty small for I news in the scheme of things, but I really like the log line. It was, I don't know if it's about a boy or a girl. I don't have the story in front of me, but they find a horse and the horse has a bump on its head and they realize, or at least they think that it was probably a unicorn And the horn was removed because so that this unicorn could go on and live a normal life as a maybe a little bit of a deformed horse. Because if they just let him keep its horn, then everyone's going to be coming after this magical unicorn. And so, like, it, it seems like they cut the horn off to protect it and to camouflage slash disguise it. But this is a silly magical, mythical creature. Uh, that sounds like a fucking cool movie. And the fact that Armory w- went in, you know, they're not hardly the biggest production company in, in town for them to identify that, that material um, and, and get their hands on it. Hats off to them. Like I, I would love, you know, I'm surprised that a studio is not do, doing more with unicorns, uh, which that's, that's a cool creature. So nice job, Armory. Uh, not, the Nutty Professor that is getting another uh, a reboot um, from Project X Entertainment these are the same people behind Scream 5 uh, and, you know that's Jamie Vanderbilt and, and William Sherrick and, and them and uh, you know it, it seems like it's time you know? I don't think that the, that the nutty professor is untouchable um, I think that they should go with a woman I, you know I, I, I think it's hard to like Melissa McCarthy would be good right she'd be good as the nutty professor wouldn't you think She's professor-aged. Do you need to have her playing 18 zillion characters like Eddie Murphy did it? No. In fact, I think you probably have to move it away from that uh, just to distinguish it. But it's a solid title. Nobody's really done anything with it for for 20 years. And uh, I look forward to seeing how they re-envision it for modern uh, modern audiences or whatever. Uh, Kevin Mayer exited TikTok late last night as CEO. I thought that was kind of interesting. I think it speaks to the fact that uh, TikTok... You know, it's, we knew it was on the block. I, I think a sale is imminent. I, I just don't think it's necessarily what uh what Kevin Mayer signed up for, and I think that there's you know a lot of good jobs out there and and he has his pick of them, even though you know signing on to a company and then leaving three months later is is never a good look. Uh, I also understand that uh you know his responsibilities kind of kind of changed um Gucci casting this week, I was pissed about this one, man. It's not that I, it was something I was tracking for a while. It's just, you know, reached out to the studio. They said it's really premature on this stuff. And then the next day, it's not too premature of a deadline, apparently. Uh, so, yeah, that really threw me for a loop and uh, made me question, honestly, my my stomach for the scoop game. Like, I I went to therapy just being like you know, if this is how I'm going to be and and feel every time I I like go scoop hunting and then I lose stuff, it's not worth it. You know, like, it's just not worth the frustration and the headache. And and believe me, I've questioned it all this week, but at the same time, I can't help, but, but like it, I can't help, but have a nose for it. I can't, I'm good at it. Like I'm just fucking good at it. I'm better than a lot of people, most people, you know, I'm not the best, But I'm pretty good. You know, if I were to tell you some of the the, the things that I've done, the way that I've done them. And so, yeah, the Gucci story just really made made me feel like, what is the point of all this? Like, if the industry doesn't want me to break its news and just wants Deadline to have everything, like, what the hell am I doing here? But you know what? You can't, you can't, I can't let others dictate, you know, how I'm going to spend my days. So I definitely need to get better dealing with losing. I'm not a good loser, but uh, I'm also not a quitter. Uh, a lot of people did quit this week. Let me tell you this. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about, like, the, the agency stuff just super quickly because this was crazy. This was like D-Day in Hollywood. I mean, w- you know, Jack a Mick Sullivan, um, Rich Cook left WME. Uh, I think it was Ch- Chelsea McKinney's was the new partner at UTA. She was just made partner at UTA. Now she's leaving for this unknown venture. Like, wow, that's wild. Um, So it's just like when, when I, I, I called it like the day that the agencies died. I don't know that that's hundred percent true because I think the agencies are going to do everything in their power to, to fuck with this new firm. But, When you are a major agent making millions of dollars a year at CAA and you decide that your future is brighter at this new firm and being an agent is not the be all end all anymore for you. And you want, you'd rather be a manager producer and have a little bit more flexibility. That is a game changer. When people are actively walking away from the death star where they command top clients and bring in millions and commissions and that kind of stuff when you decide to pivot or or just basically change jobs entirely from agent to manager, like that signals that being an agent at those places is not what it once was. And maybe that their power grip on this town is slipping. Although, you know, the deck that this new firm had, I don't really see how it was terribly different from, from agencies other than they were going to focus on the 1% more rather than servicing everybody in town. I think it's ultimately a good thing. Uh, you know, more, more competition and the fact that it's not all consolidated into these really three or even two agencies. Um, love, love the guys that they got like you know, J- Jack Wiggum's just a fucking good guy in my book. Um, so, you know, this, this is a really promising group to build around. At the same time, you know, they're being backed by Steve Cohen, who's a Trump supporter. And so is talent really going to flock to this place to help Steve Cohen get rich so that he can donate more money to the Republican Party? That is going to be, there's gonna be a lot of soul searching for, for talent. Uh, you know, maybe someone won't care. You know, be like, hey, if these guys get the job done for my career, it's not my my job to tell this guy his money you know his commission that he's making off of me anyways definitely keep an eye on that i expect more big names to follow i've thought i like i'm interested like shit i've thought about going and being a manager being a lit manager i, I read i'd love to read i went to screenwritings to nyu to tish like do i think i could be a lit manager i think i could i think i could do it and probably do it well and i'd probably just like I, you know, as a reporter, I think I'd find clients via some very unconventional means. I think I would be the guy pounding the pavement on campuses, even though there's nobody on school campuses anymore. I would be the like I wish someone had come to me when I was at NYU in college. I think I would be that guy going to the colleges. Uh, we got like two minutes left in the show. Altered Carbon got canceled. I spent I watched five minutes of that show and knew it wasn't for me. Uh, clearly, it wasn't uh, for too many others. The stand got a release date coming the week before Christmas. I'm pumped for that. Josh Boone, I may not be seeing the new mutants this weekend purely out of safety reasons, uh, but I cannot wait. I will order CBS All Access again. Just watch the stand. We got trailers for Spontaneous. Uh, Brian Duffield's movie where kids are exploding all over school time. The Sundance movie. I heard that was incredible. It's this black and white documentary about a woman, uh, you know, trying to get her husband out of jail. The 40 year old version, another black and white movie about a, uh, you know, a 40 year old woman, a black woman who becomes a rapper. I think that looks fantastic. That could end up being a, a best picture nominee. And Nola Holmes with Millie Bobby Brown. Eh, you it know, looked like a, a kid's thing, that was the other trailer that had a hole in it. So, I don't know if it's Hole, I know a Holmes. We want to use Courtney Love's Hole. Uh, but I thought that that was interesting that, you know, Nirvana and Hole in trailers on the same week. Uh, the Comey Rule, that got a new trailer. I watched Night One last night. I'll be able to talk about it next week. I'm going to watch the rest of it um, later this weekend. Come Play got a trailer. Didn't like the short film that that was based on, Larry. But uh, I, I like the, the, you know, the, the trailer looked interesting. And then Ammonite. This is supposed to be a huge, you know, uh, awards contender. I don't think um, – it just feels like it, it got beaten to the punch by Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I, I just didn't feel the vibe from Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan and the age difference is a little bit concerning. I don't uh, – I wanted to take some mailbag questions. I really don't have the time, guys, because that uh, it, you know, has to uh, do an interview after this with Perry and Haley. They've got a guest coming on in, a, in just a few minutes. So I've got to uh, I gotta wrap things up. I I, no, I I may be doing more of this I don't know if I'm going to lead with the news anymore or If I'm going to lead with reviews So I can really talk about the stuff that I'm watching In, in depth a little bit more uh, I'm going to try and play around with this format I know I need to plan it better um, So that I'm not all over the place I, I want to focus more Anyways, thank you for sticking with me For watching this episode Tenant, if you do go see it Just be careful Wear a mask, wear gloves Wear whatever you got to wear uh, have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I will see you next week on the Snyder Cut. Until then, take
1: care. It's that chico pit Boom Mister Three Hundred Five. But it said, Mister Worldwide, you already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. (laughs) Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple podcast. Podcast one. Spotify. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year. Automatically. Dollar for dollar. With no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on. How amazing is that?